Say what? Oh, this is Brian. Call me the Fortune Hunter Gardener. Coming to you from the Devil's Hole, a.k.a. the subterranean studios of the new Ramblon Towers at Ice Station Zeppelin uh, in scenic Casper, Ontario. And you are listening to Ramblon Radio, episode 155. Uh, Ramblon Radio is the longest-running Led Zeppelin podcast on this or any other known intranets. You can subscribe to Ramblon Radio iTunes and Google Play. If you're in iTunes, if you go there for whatever reason, you go to Google Play for whatever reason, leave a review. It helps. Um, it helps other people find the podcast. It helps boost us up the uh, boost me, boost this podcast up up the um, uh, just visibility profile, basically. So when other people search for Led Zeppelin, there's more more likely it will come up. Uh, it's also available on Podbean, and I am Brian Dammit. Podbean has their own mobile streaming app. Um, but in, in fa- apparently, the last episode there was a problem with the Podbean app. I've not been, I have not been able to figure it out. They're not able to help me. They're telling me um, because I, I saved the file in MP4 format, and therefore there's a problem with my Apple phone and the and the Podbean. That's weird because. MP4 is an Apple format, um, so it shouldn't cause a problem. But that's what they're suggesting. I don't know what's going on. Uh, but the Podbean app doesn't seem to be working. But Podbean itself, your mobile app is working. It's also working on Stitcher Radio and NewVerbal.com. Now, it seems to be a couple episodes behind on Verbal. But Verbal.com is the latest thing in uh, in Internet audio, apparently. And uh, verbl dot com, and we're and this podcast is now on it. Uh, and don't forget also check out Ramble on Radio on YouTube. This podcast will be on it in visual format. Uh, also, be sure to like Ramble on Radio on Facebook and start a conversation. Join the conversation. Uh, let's have a conversation. Um, and yes, from what you heard, it's Ice Station Zeppelin time. Uh, pull, pulling that old chestnut out, it's it's gotten cold, gotten cold, um, stupid cold. As uh, um, long-time listeners will remember, uh, USA Today once calling it the here in Hespler. Um, but that was mostly because they're smarter than us and couldn't figure out the metric system. Um, the f- the intro music was the firm. Yeah, you're gonna have to. Go, I'm not explaining it. You have to go backwards and hear what that was all about. Um, the intro music was the firm, the Cadillac or Cadillac, just Cadillac, not the Cadillac. Cadillac from May 22nd, 1985, at Wembley Arena in London, and we will be discussing the firm a little further tonight as we go. That's why that was put in. Um, but uh, what do you think of that song? I don't know. You know, it does. I, I have my notes on that album, and it just does nothing for me. That song, and um, yeah, kind of feel like it goes nowhere. All right, on this date in Led Zeppelin history, January thirty first, nineteen sixty nine. Happy end of January, by the way. We're we're one twelfth of the way through this stupid year over, so let's hope, let's hope it can get a little better. 
January 31st, 1969, the first of two nights at Fillmore East in New York uh, happened. This is the night they blew Iron Iron Butterfly clean off the stage. Um, Iron Butterfly didn't, was the headliner, didn't want to go on. Uh, February 2nd, 1969, in the Rock Pile, at the Rock Pile in Toronto. Um, so from New York to Toronto, yeah, it's a one-day drive. And uh, a f- somewhat famous show, and because we're broadcasting from 50 miles from the Rock Pile, um, you know, it gets mentioned. Uh, February 3rd, 1986. The firm, mean business, was released. And 86 makes it 96, 2016. 35 years ago, uh, this very week, we had the firm's mean business released. Uh, and hence, Cadillac, which is on that album. Um, February 7, 1962, Deborah Bonham was born. That's John's sister. And uh, she's got a new thing coming out, new album. I should... Uh, uh, this is what I don't like doing, but, uh, let's see if I can quickly find the email. Um, Deborah Bottom, quarterly newsletter, 2021. See you again, CDEP, pre-order, new CED, released February 7, 2011. Uh, it's Deborah Bottom and Peter Bullock release a new, very special CDEP entitled See You Again. It events of the forthcoming album, Bottom Bullock. This record will not only be released on Deborah's birthday, which you now know is February 7th, but one pound from the sale of each copy will be donated to Teenage Cancer Trust in the name of John Bottom Memorial. All pre-orders received a personalized signed copy when released. Uh, and they also, if you go to DebraBottom.com, you can order that. You can also buy a Bottom Bullock t-shirt. Um... They do have some live dates listed as well. June 12th, June 18th. Uh, that's in France. Chris Slade, huh? interesting. So back to the firm. June 12th, Festival Pro something in France, anyway. De Peru. Festival Perouge. Uh In France, Bonham Bullock, Phil Campbell, and Chris Slade. Chris Slade was the drummer in the firm. Uh, 21st of August, the Astonbury Festival. The 9th of October, the Carlisle Blues Festival, um, which is different than the Carlisle Bluegrass Festival that we used to go to here in Ontario, which was, uh, well, that was a night. That was a weekend. Um, so that, so that's De- Deborah Bonham is up to. Um, February 7, 1970, Led Zeppelin II reaches number one in the U.K., Led Zeppelin's first number one album, not to be confused with their last. February 8, 1968, the Band of Joy featuring Robert Platt and John Bonham make their their first London appearance supporting Edward Starr at the Marquee Club. War, what is it good for? Uh, that's who Edward, Edwin Starr was. He wrote that song the, uh, that Springsteen made rather uh, popular or famous. Or Springsteen had a a hit with some 20 years later. February 8, 2009, Robert Plant and Alison Krauss won five Grammys for Raising Sand, including Album of the Year. And that brings me to this little tidbit. Um, this is something I should have mentioned in the last couple of podcasts. It got forgot. It actually comes from last summer. Uh, this is old news, and nothing new has developed from it, so who knows... 
If you're if you're on YouTube, my hands are up. I guarantee no information I'm about to relay. I'm just telling you what is out there or what was out there this summer. Um, well, let's start with the first, the one that's relevant to what we're saying. The rumors of recording a second album with Alison Krauss. Uh, it came from a report in June from Lucinda Williams, who's a singer, singer-songwriter. Uh, she told Uncut magazine uh, that she had been that she had sung in a recording session for the new Plant and Krauss album. So that has apparently happened, but uh, and to be released. But again, a we know for fact Robert Plant recorded some albums, um, has recorded material. That, that never got released. Uh, the band The Joy being an example, and we're about to talk about that. Um, there was, before he started doing the uh, Sensational Space Shifters, yeah, I think that's what they're called. Uh, Strange Sensation, yeah, Sensational Space Shifters. Before he started doing that, he was recording an album with the band of Joy. He, there, was, there was Instagram pictures, they talked about the recording, he talked about it in an interview, it was going to be what, did he, what was this psychedelic bluegrass or something he was talking about it being? And then it died in the vine. It, nothing at this, the sensational space shifters happened, came up up, and that was it. Gone was the Band of Joy project. So we know it was recorded. We don't know what happened to it. We do know this past summer, Robert Plant released a 2D, two CD set uh, of kind of previously released material mostly greatest hits kind of thing but not really hits uh, a compilation two cd set called subterranea um digging deep subterranea that's what it was called on this was a track uh, a previously unreleased tracks called nothing takes the place of you um and it, in the notes for the album, it said, taken from the soon-to-be-released album, Band of Joy, Volume 2. Uh, also a duet rendition of uh, Charlie Feather's rockabilly classic, Too Much Alike, featuring Patty Griffith, turned up on that set. And again, the notes mentioned it was from Band of Joy, Volume 2, to be released soon. That was July. So we've heard nothing. Um, what do we know about it? Nothing. We know what I just told you. But here's the thing. We do know there was an album released. I'm going to guess he didn't go back into the studio and do another album. Maybe they maybe they did some of a new, maybe, you know, but there was no rumors that they were recording again. So, and maybe that's just awkward wording in the uh, in the press thing, in the release. Maybe that's what we've got here. Um, I don't know. Nobody knows. Uh, it may be that it's not going to be released. Maybe that's what they were planning on calling it. Led Zeppelin, you know, or the Band of Joy Volume 2. And it's sitting there and he decided he liked those two tracks. So he's going to put them on this as a, you know, to get people who have everything to buy it. That's one of the things that the record companies and the artists will do. That's why there's new songs on Greatest Hits albums, for instance. That's why you buy a Greatest Hits album and you think, well, that's not a hit. That's brand new. I never heard that before. That's why they do that. So the people who have all the albums, have all the hits already, will have to feel compelled to buy that this album as well. Uh, you get in the casual fans and the hardcore fans that way. Um, so it may be that they decided to throw a couple of bones like that on this album. 
Um, or it may be, and it just was worded awkwardly in the press releases. Or I don't know if it was in the CD notes. I've heard the CD. I've not bought the CD. I haven't been buying CDs the last couple of years. So, I, uh, so unless I see it on album, unless I see it at a price I'm kind of comfortable with, because, you know, the CD would be $18, no big deal. But it'll go in my closet and never get never get looked at. Um, but the vinyl might be $60, which I'm not about to pay. Um, very often, and not that not that that's a hard no, but it's a it's close to it. And I don't think this was released on LP anyway. Um, anyway, so that's that's those two things that are that are sitting there. They're Robert Plant newsish, but they're old news, you know. Hmm. Okay. Um, so t what we're going to talk about today is the firm's Mean Business album. Uh, mentioned in the beginning, it was released February third. Uh, if you're on the YouTubes, there's the cover. Mean business. Got to figure out there's where it is. Mean business. So YouTube people, my my monitor's to the left or to my right, but the camera's straight ahead, and you should see the setup I got going here. I got it on a piece of two by four, but the camera's mounted on the two by four, and so I keep thinking that this is where the camera is over here. So I'll occasionally look there, thinking I'm looking at you, and I when I put something up, I want to do this, and it's really there. So YouTube people, sorry, I'm taking a little while to get used to the camera not being with the computer. There's the mean business, front and back. Not, not much of a cover. You want, you want pet peeves on albums? They give you all the songs. They don't give you what friggin' side the song is on. They don't give you... Although they do put them in order. They don't kind of indicate they're in order. Then you get the album itself, and it says this side, other side. It, you know, it's got one side, it's got just a label that says the firm on it. The other side, it's got all the information. I want to pick up an album, look at it, go, this side is the one with this song. I don't put it on. Not have to think too hard when I'm busy doing this stuff. Um really weird pet peeve but yeah this is one of those albums got those and in the 80s they were doing crap like that a lot more so so for the record the firm is um jimmy page's band in the 80s they did two albums uh one in 84 this was uh this was 86 i think one was either late 84 or early 85. They did a tour in 1985. They did this album in 1986, and they kind of split up not very long after. Um, they sound on this album, and I'm going to get into a little bit of detail, but just a little, because there's not that much to, to talk about with the music. You know, it's funny. They sound like they've they've tapped the well on the, on the second album. That... Um, I think the feeling is there was a lot of stuff. Those some of the artists had stuff lying around, and the, the first album got thrown together fairly easily with some nice material. And it's got some great songs on it. It's got um, the first one's got uh, like Radioactive, and uh, the, the song that Jimmy had in the Led Zeppelin days called Swan Song. They Satisfaction Guaranteed. They call that. Um, I don't think so, but Satisfaction Guaranteed's a song. There was um. Uh, yeah, I'm just drawing a blank on that one. And uh, the, so there was some good songs on the first one. Um, there was also, I mean, talk about 
feeling like you're running out of creative gas. You Lost That Loving Feeling is a song they played from the first time they ever played together um, all the way through to their last concerts. Um, you Lost That Loving. And it's... I don't know. I, I, that's an okay song. That's that's just an okay song in the first place. Uh, and I never felt like it was one they particularly brought anything to that 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 nobody else had done. Now maybe it's you know the Top Gun they do that song and that's an '80s thing too. Maybe it just feels like that's a cliche in the '80s. Um. But I just, I've never quite liked the You Lost That Loving Feeling being on that album. I, I kind of rolled my eyes the first time I heard it, and I, I haven't really changed my mind. But anyway, that's the first album. But, you know, it was a good album. But this second one just really feels like they don't have a lot of gas. It's got some moments. Um, I'll get into detail. It's got a couple of interesting things about it. But they pull a song out of um, uh, Paul, uh, Paul Rogers' solo album, first solo album. So you kind of feel like there's the creative flow isn't working the way it's meant to. Um, it's meant to be it's a super group, quote unquote, right? It's Chris Slade is played with a lot of people. He's he actually was a '60s studio guy. Um, back back with Jimmy Page, they did this this the scene together. And Paul Rogers, of course, was with Free, then Bad Company. Uh, Tony Franklin was with Chic, I think. The Chic, or um, but uh, anyway, he was with a very popular band and is a well-known popular bass player. Um, so they should have been. There's something about them never quite worked in my ear. Uh, some good songs there, some good moments there, but it doesn't. Um, Anyway, let's let's go. Uh, yeah, let's go over uh, just quickly the set list. Side one, Fortune Hunter, Cadillac, Cadillac. You heard in the intro. Um, all the King's horses live in peace. Side two, tear down the walls, dreaming, free to live, spirit of love. Now they never did any concerts after this album was released, um, so there's no kind of recordings out there of of something like Fortune Hunter or All the King's Horses, which I would have liked to have got. Uh, or at least I couldn't find any. Don't don't email me saying, oh, there is, there is, there is. Well, do if you want. But, yeah, I couldn't find it. And from what I could gather, that they didn't tour this album. So this, uh, one of their last shows, actually, was that London uh, Hammersmith show. And it was um, it was before this album was released. So we, we got Cadillac and Live in Peace off of it. Um, Cadillac, you kind of heard what it is. It goes nowhere. It does, you know. Um, yeah, it, it's yeah. Um, the song now "Live in Peace" was originally released in 1983 on Paul Rogers' first solo album, "Cut Loose." Uh, also, um, I don't know. I'm going to do this for you, YouTube guys. Uh oh. Um. Also, was um. Uh, Fortune Hunter was originally released um, on the uh, the X or not re recorded originally recorded originally written and recorded on the XYZ demos. Um, XYZ stood for X Yes and Zeppelin. It was Chris Squire, Jimmy Page, Alan White, 
and um, there was a keyboard player, a guy you never heard of, called Dave Lawson uh, of the band Greenslade, and he was also picking up some vocals. Um, so, and uh, I'm going to play that for you right now. It's just so uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut it in so here it is here is Fortune Hunter from XYZ
right, so that was Fortune Hunter, um, or at least part thereof. I'm cutting it in after the fact, so I'm not sure what I've decided to do. Um, <laughs> figure it out, figure it out. But you'll get the idea, and if you go online and find the, the firm's Fortune Hunter, you'll discover um, fairly close uh, take. And if you're on YouTube, I'm sorry, I, I just haven't quite got there yet with the uh something's coming up in the next month and we'll get there in the, in the next month uh i'm hoping i can fix some of these youtube problems after that i'm hoping i can fix some you know get some software going that'll make my life a little easier in terms of cutting in the songs like this and, but uh but that said you're gonna have to just look up xyz fortune hunter and the firm fortune hunter and hear those clips yourself um, so XYZ was uh, 90, early 1981, um, as you say, Chris Squire and Alan White of Yes, Jimmy Pidge, and this guy Dave Lawson, who I'd never heard of. And they decided to bring, they decided they needed a better vocalist than, uh, than the keyboard player in the band, and uh, went and got Robert Plant, who sat in once with them. They did about four or five sessions. Robert Plant sat in once with them and ultimately decided, no, that's not what he wanted to do. Um, worth noting, um, really excellent book for reading, uh, for the rock fan is, uh, Steve Howe did a, did an autobiography last year and, uh, it's quite good. Now I'm a guitar player and I love Steve Howe, so maybe, maybe I'm biased on it, but Steve, uh, but there is, you know, a couple of, th- a couple of fun things about it. He, he seems to have an issue with Rick Wakeman. <laughs> so... And the only person who really gets bad mouth, and it's it's more like passive aggressive digs, but it's Rick Wakeman. Um, he kind of mentions it, you know. Yeah, Rick Wakeman just seems to bug him. Chris Squire, um, it's clear from the book, had a drinking problem. Um, he drank too much. He drank before shows. He drank a lot before shows sometimes. Um, and, and important shows, he would drink a lot, like a bottle of brandy before the show, sort of, sort of drinking. Now, it doesn't seem to be a thing that eats at Steve Howe. It doesn't seem to be, I couldn't work with this guy anymore. I suspect it's one of the things, you know, people, there's a lot of people in and out of yes, and Chris Squire is the one constant. Um, I suspect it's one of the reasons for that, um, but he doesn't really say that. He doesn't get into it too much, but it's clear that it's an issue around the band at times is, is Chris Squire's drinking. I bring that up only because Jimmy Page was doing the heroin and was in a bit of a mess around 1981 and you know Robert Plant shows up he's dealt with Jimmy the last couple of years not being quite fucked to snuff he's dealt with John Bonham having his own problems and dying from it and gone through that the pain personal pain associated with that and then maybe he sees Chris Squire hitting the bottle pretty hard and thinks yeah no I'm gonna pass on this particular this particular deal um, that's a guess, but you know Robert Plant. I'm sure Robert Plant was tenant going in, regardless. Who knows if Chris Squire was actually drinking at these rehearsals or there was anything like that. But uh, it just give just maybe gives us a little in, inside of the kind of the way Robert Plant was thinking at the time when it comes to this. Um, I think his excuse at the time, excuse, his reasoning at the time he had said was it was too complicated. Um, and that may be so. It's, um, 
you know, we see with Jimmy Page's solo album, it, it's hard to find people to write good lyrics around the kind of music he writes. Um, so, and we see it on the firm a bit too. That's, I mean, they're okay lyrics, but it's nothing that really brings the song up that notch that uh, Robert Plant lyrics does, is it? Okay, so this was produced. I don't understand this to save my life. Um, I, I guess when I look at the, the firm stuff, this is the first thing that jumps out at me. Um, it was produced by a guy called Julian Mendelssohn. Jimmy Page is in your band. Jimmy Page is one. And one of the things about the firm is that sound doesn't sound good. They don't have a great open, you know, Led Zeppelin had this open air kind of sound to them, right? Um, this is so, and, and this guy, Julian Mendelssohn, I mean, his resume includes the Pet Shop Boys and Liza Minnelli. That's the kind, he's very, very shallow resume, actually. You know, maybe about 10 acts on it. And that's two of that's the kind of acts he's doing. And then he's then you're bringing him in to do a rock hard rock band like the firm. And it's got this really what they call wet production. Um, and when I say that what they you know, music nerds call wet production of the nineteen and this is this is some of the wettest. Um he's really don't like the production very much on these albums. Um, and I don't know who does the first firm album, to be honest, so I should be careful what I'm saying. But I don't, for the life of me, I don't understand why Jimmy Page wouldn't have been producer and why he wouldn't have, if he'd done so, why he wouldn't have basically gone with the Led Zeppelin formula, which is very ambient sound. Very He liked, um, he always talked about miking the drums from a distance, you know, having a mic six inches away from the amplifier because you wanted to pick up the amplifier amplifying the room not just the hard amplifier and that sort of thing um and with with wet production you don't do that that's one of the things about it you go everything goes direct to the board um and you can control every nuance of course how they do records nowadays but um but it's not the jimmy page style and, and you know those led zeppelin albums sound so good in large part because of the way he felt that the music needed the room to breathe before it really, really emoted. Um, and it doesn't do that in the firm. So, I, yeah, and even when you look at this guy's resume, he's got almost nothing on it before the firm. Almost everything comes, it's almost like firm was a stepping stone to the Pet Shop Boys and Liza Minnelli. And that's weird. That's That doesn't make sense. Um, there was absolutely nothing there that, that, that indicates he would be in a, an appropriate choice for a hard rock band in the vein of the firm. Uh, it's just, it wasn't, a, yeah, it wasn't a good choice. Um, okay, so, so song, I'm going to go over this song by song, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do very much. Um, because I don't have much to give you on it. it I don't, Yeah, see, I'm doing this shrug of my shoulders. And that's how I feel. Let's describe this album. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I've listened to it about five times in the last two weeks prepping for this podcast. Uh, it'll get put away and maybe, hey, look, I'm almost 60. I may never get hurt again. Uh, maybe five years later I'll pull it out and try to remember what I said this time and fail miserably because it's unmemorable. It's, it's there's nothing that jumps out at you as wow. There's nothing that makes you go, you know. Hey, listen to. There's nothing that makes me want to go. Hey, listen to this. Listen. Oh my God, listen to this. It's not there. I don't. 
Yeah. So, um, that's it. Uh, so let's go through it. Fortune Hunter is, is the album's best rocker. You've heard what you heard from the uh, XYZ sessions a little while ago. Um, that's basically how it comes out, uh, except there's lyrics. Um, but it basically how it comes comes out on the uh, on this album. It's same song, more or less. And it's a good song. I like that one. I would have liked to have heard that one show up live um, at some point. That That's the song, kind of song that might have been pretty kick-ass live. Um, Cadillac, you heard in the intro. It's got that bouncy, fretless, you know, Tony Franklin's the fretless, um, fretless bass monster, I think. The fretless monster, I think they call him. He uses a fretless bass. And and one of the things you can do in the fretless bass is go, whoa, kind of like a cow mooing up to the note. And he does that all the time. All the time. Um, and this is a great example of it. Um, so it's the fretless bass sound. And and uh, actually, Paige does this thing with the guitar where it's like he's making the guitar talk. You know, and he uses, um, he just uses his fingers mostly, I think. Maybe a wah-wah pedal in there. Um, you know, guys, and this was an 80s guitar guy trick. It was one of those things the the Van Halen imitators like to do. Uh, Steve Vai did it on David Lee Roth's album. There was a hit song they had. I'm damned if I can remember the name. Damned if you remember it. If I told you, it's it was a hit for six months and everybody forgot all about it, for a good reason probably. But Steve Vai talked with his guitar, and a couple other people did this sort of thing. And a lot of cases, they use the whammy bars to try and to make it. You know, I mean, I sound like a chicken, but it's kind of what it's like when they do it. Page is doing it other ways. Uh, I don't think he's whammy barring, but he's doing it, and it's an '80s trick, and it's um, it dates the song. It really dates. You hear that, and you go, ah, '80s, huh? Um, All the King's Horses. This is the best song in the album, bar none, by a mile. This is the song that jumps out at you on this album. It is so much better than everything else on this album. Um, it's it, And what it does is it makes you realize how oh, off the other stuff is. The second best song, by the way, is Fortune Hunter. And even it's not close. Um, and it's miles ahead of everything else. Um, Live in Peace, as I said, came off um, Paul Rogers' first solo album. But it's just an 80s ballad with those that Van Halen keyboard sound, the jumping right now, um, that sound in, in it. Um, could be Eddie Van Halen playing the keyboards on the song. And that comes up again later, too. Uh, Tear Down the Walls is an okay rocker. Kind of along the same vein of Fortune Hunter. Um, like I say, this they sound like they're running out of ideas. And like I say, it's... It really feels repetitive, Tear Down the Walls and Fortune Hunter, although Tear Down the Walls is nowhere near as good as Fortune Hunter. A Dreaming is a slowish bad, battle. Um, a slowish ballad. And then I scribbled something else. If you're on YouTube, you can see I scribbled something else there. Uh, where is it? Uh, you got to try and get it into your camera right there. Right there. See the word? Slurge Ballad, and what? What did I write there? I don't know. 
I don't know to save my life. What just happened to my... Uh, I just lost my... I just lost my screen. But everything seems to be working. Thank goodness for that. Uh, free to live. You know what I wrote? I wrote forgettable. Uh, where is it? Right? Just okay. Forgettable. That's what I wrote. If you're on YouTube, you can see my notes. What the hell? Um, and Spirit of Love is the last song. It's another Van Halen sounding intro. It's right now. It's almost a ripoff of right now at times. It's keyboardy. It's Eddie Van Halen on the keyboards. It's pure 80s. And, uh, and then at the end, it's kind of got a chorusy thing. And uh, I made the note, right now meets the later years. Uh, is that what that song is called? In the living years, the living years. Um, that's what that that song is. It's you know it ends with a kind of living years thing. Um, so and it, it mean business. Look, this album didn't do great. It got to twenty two on the U.S. charts. Um, the first firm album, by the way, got to seventeen. Uh, it only got to forty six in the U.K. charts. As compared to fit the fit debut album got fifteen got to 15 and it should have uh the debut album's a not bad b like we think of it as a jimmy page album if you're in america jimmy page but paul rogers was a big ass star in britain he free was a big band in britain and then on to bad company they were a lot bigger in britain than they were ever i think everywhere in, in america so paul rogers had a real name himself in britain so the fact that it got it did a little better. The first album did better in the UK than it did in the US. Um, I th I think that's reasonable. Um, and the fact that it did a lot this, this album, Mean Business, did a lot worse in the UK than it did in the US tells you something about the fact they were listening in the UK and they were going, nah, nah, it just didn't work. Uh, by the way, up here in Canada. Uh, released in the middle of the uh, Ice Station Zeppelin period. Um, the first album got to uh, seven, no, uh, um, 16. It got to 16, so it hit 15 um, in the UK, 16 in Canada, 17 in the US. That's the debut album. This album, Mean Business, did 22 in the US, 37 here in Canada. 46 in the UK. So we split the difference pretty much on both albums. The singles on this album were All the King's Horses. It got to 61 in the US. 61 with a bullet. Um, more like 61 and somebody put a bullet in it. But um, but it did get to number one on the rock charts. I don't know what that means. But that's what it, that was the notes. And the, um, num you know, just the rock charts got to number one. Live in Peace got into 21 on the rock charts. It was released as a single. It did not chart on, in the Billboard charts. Neither song charted in the UK at all. Uh, worth noting, the cover is by Aubrey Powell. He's formerly of Hypnosis. Uh, we've talked about them before. Um, between him and Storm Thorm Thormund, they ran a design company called Hyp Hypnosis. Um but it's G-N-O-S-I-S. So it's like, uh, you know, yeah. Hip Gary Gnu, right? Uh, hip Gnosis. Uh, <laughs> all your Led Zeppelin Gnus. 
<laughs> there it is. Ten people out there killing themselves laughing right now, and everybody else going, what is he talking about? Um, but yeah, so Aubrey Powell as part of Hypnosis did uh, all the Pink Floyds. Um, you know, a bunch of ELOs, including their first ELP's trilogy, Nazareth Rampant, Sweet Desolation by or Sweet Desolation Boulevard. Um, some of the bad companies, Straight Shooter and whatever the second one, the next one was, Wings, Venus and Mars, and Life Over America, um, Year of the Cat, and of course Houses of the Holy, the Song Remains the Same, and In Three the Outdoor. Um, and for the firm, they came up with that. That. Seriously. That's it. I mean, it looks like outtakes from a Eddie Murphy movie. Uh, again, so 80s. So 80s. Such a lousy cover. It's a lousy cover. Um, proving that the musicians aren't the only formerly great artists who had a bad, bad go of it on this album. Um, <laughs> or something I didn't say. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Uh... <laughs> but that's true that there's a truth to that that's um you know i'm kind of stealing that line I, I i have to give credit where it's due uh the 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 book is called i'm looking up on my books if you're on youtube what's he doing i'm looking up my books but it's not up there uh the book is called uh why i hate new music it's called a classic rock manifesto dave somebody dave i want to say dave marsh but um, and he makes the line, how far could a formerly great artist fall? And then he, he quote, he notes, Jimmy Page went from in my time of dying to radioactive. That's how far they can fall. Um, so I'm kind of stealing that. Yes. It's, yes. It's, it sticks in my mind that uh, the firm is a bit of a fall for Jimmy Page. And, uh, and I like radioactive, by the way. I think that's the, the great, the shining moment in the firm, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I would say from a cover design aspect, um, Aubrey Powell's looking like he was, uh, mailing it in on that one to me. Um, or he had run out of ideas. All right. From the collection. I got, I've been boring the last couple of, from the collection. So I decided this time to actually look for something, dig something out. And I couldn't find what I was actually looking for, but I found a comparable, I found He's similar. We talked last time about in through the or about uh, immigrant song being pulled. Um, so I thought I would pull out my immigrant song single. I have the immigrant song. Uh, I'm going to see if I can light this up better here. I, I kind of have the light. I get really red with the light right on me, so I try to kind of aim it off me. But there you go, immigrant song. This is a gold label. You'll see it's called Gold Standard. They have the, the titling Gold Standard there on the top right. See if I can get that right. On the, part of the Atlantic label. Which means this is a song. This was released in the early 80s. This actual variation. Uh, and the flip side is, of course, Hey, hey, what can I do? Um, yeah. There you go. So this was, yeah, they released this. And a lot of guys have this in the mid-80s, early 80s. I think I got this about 80, 81. Um, and it was when they, the radio stations were actually starting to play Hey, Hey, What Can I Do? Before the late 70s, um, even maybe, yeah, I, I'm going to go with about 78, 79. The ra radio stations kind of discovered Hey, Hey, What Can I Do? and started playing it. So it's what we got. Um, 
It was almost like a New Zeppelin song when no new material was coming out. Certainly not radioable material, uh, if you think of the Presence album. So you think from 75 to 79. And even if you don't exclude Presence, from 76 to 79, there was really nothing new. So the radio station started shoveling, hey, hey, what can I do out? And people liked it. So they did re-release the immigrant song, Hey, Hey, What Can I Do, at one point in the 80s. Now, I do have an original. I found an original about two years ago at a flea market. It's in awful shape. But I have it. And that's what I was actually looking for. And I was going to pull up both. I don't know where I put it. Um, I now have to go through my 45s and figure this out. But it's around somewhere. Um, but that's that's so that's from the collection Immigrant Song Single, not getting a brand new one, apparently, with the Japanese cover, but I got that one. Uh, all right, that is it for Ramblon Radio, episode 155. We are going to outro with Cadillac. Um, thanks for listening to Ramblon Radio, episode 155. Be sure to check out RamblonRadio.com and follow Ramblon Radio on Facebook. You can scramble to Ramble on Radio through iTunes and Google Play. Don't forget to leave a review. It helps their algorithms find the podcast, which helps their algorithms present the podcast to other people. Uh, you can listen on Stitcher um, through their app, through their streaming app. You can listen on Verbal, V-E-R-B-L. Uh, download it. At I am Brian Damon on Podbean. Check out Ramble on Radio on YouTube. Thank you for listening to Ramblon Radio, and I will see you in two weeks. <laughs>